Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Premier League Tonight podcast, where I was joined at Stamford Bridge by Glenn Hoddle, birthday boy Chris Sutton, and our special guest making his Premier League Tonight debut, Frank De Boer. On the pod, we addressed the awful scenes at London Stadium as West Ham fans and owners clashed. We reflected on Manchester United's victory over Liverpool. Marcus Rashford was the man with both goals, and we discussed Jose's footballing philosophy. Just two shots on target, 32% possession, but the most important stat of all was three big points for United. And with Frank on the show, we get to hear his take on his spell at Palace, his memories of World Cup 98, which ended in a penalty shootout agony to Brazil, and our final part was dedicated to one of the greats of the game, Johan Cruyff, as we look back on what shaped the legacy of his Barcelona side. And of course, it's your show, so we hear your club's legacies and stories. Sold a dream, delivered a nightmare. West Ham United nil, Burnley free. It has gone mental in here today, and there is three people responsible for what's happening at this football club. Two of the chairman and Karen Brady. This place is disgusting. They have split the fan base massively. Today we have players, sorry, fans running on the pitch. We have players taking play, uh, fans down on the pitch. It's got that horrible and hostile. I think you, as a supporter, you 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 can't cross the line as a supporter. You know you you know what it is. You can't come on the pitch, and the players know that they have to perform on the pitch. But what we need the club to do now, the supporters and the players and everybody is pulled together, is actually to be, you know, when I took over, we were, we're in the bottom three. We're not in the bottom three, you know. Can we make improvements? Can we play better? Can we do things much better? Of course we can. So none of us are, are daft that way. But to do it, it would really help for everybody to pull in the one direction because we've got eight games left to do so. I think we're more than capable of doing it. We're going to have to prove it. He looks haunted, doesn't he? These were the post-match thoughts of Mark Noble. Um, he said, people have to realise we are footballers, we are targets, but we have to protect ourselves. There were a number of fans on the pitch, in all honesty. A lot of them were running towards the chairman, but if someone approaches me personally, I'm going to protect myself, and we saw that today from Martin Noble. Um, here's another message. This is from Nick Davison. He's just a fan. He says, Burnley subs giving up their seats to protect young fans. All this aggravation, pitch invasions and unpleasantness, all on the 25th anniversary of Bobby Moore's death disgraceful. So he's absolutely clear what he thinks. Uh, Jim Munro is a West Ham fan as well. He's also a journalist and he says in five decades of living and breathing West Ham United, I've never known a more toxic time for my club and never felt such desperation about its future and I've witnessed a lot including five relegations and probably the most apt word in the whole of there 
is toxic. That's exactly what it was, wasn't it, Glenn? Yeah, we saw. We, we were all shocked. You know, that's something you just don't want to see anywhere in the world, on any football uh, stadium. And um, you can understand the players having to protect themselves, but fans cannot. They can't. They can't do that. They can't go over that line, as David Moore said. That they're, they're there to give you support. You can tell the frustration. If there's frustrations there, take it out verbally. Don't, you don't physically go onto a football pitch. And these guys, you would imagine, would be banned instantly for life from any football ground, not just West Ham Football Club, from any ground in the world. Where does, this, where does this go, though? Because they're not happy with the stadium. They're not happy with the style of football. They're not happy with the recent signings. They're not happy with the owners. They're not happy with the league position. That is a lot of things that this club have got to sort out. Yeah, uh, but they would be happy to stay in the Premier League next season. That is the most important thing. So this isn't the time for the fans to lose their heads. You know, if they want to protest, protest after the last game when Premiership survival... But isn't it too late? But I'm, uh, not, I'm not saying fans well, should well, go onto well, the pitch, but... Well, you know, you, you use the word uh, toxic. Things aren't going to get any better because of this. All it's yeah. done is, you know, it, it's piled the pressure now mm. on West Ham. Their next game is at home to Southampton. I think. And how big a game is that? And they will go into that now. All this uncertainty cannot be good for West Ham. I thought West Ham were safe not so long back. Now, after seeing the scenes today, they are in big trouble. Yeah. I think also West Ham's always been a, 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 a good club all around the world with mm. what the guys, the three guys did in the 66 World Cup, even back to... The, it's always been a, a, a good family club. These pitches will go all around the world. West Ham Football Club will be all around the world tonight. But for a very, very, very negative... They're not going to report the match. It'll be for a very negative thing. And that's, that's hurt the club. They've hurt the club, not just the players and today's result, but they've really hurt the club in a big, big way. When I asked you in the, the previous programme who you think is going to get relegated, you said West Ham. West Ham, because, because I think this, this. Is, this is a major impact uh, for everybody. And, uh, and of course, uh, the most important one are, are the players. And I think this is a major impact for... The mental yes, uh, stability of the of the players, and you know they it's, they are doubtful now. And of course, they are, were, didn't have maybe that confidence already. But this is a, yeah, it's a big blow up for them. That's for sure. Something has to change there, though, doesn't it? That this is this is unforgivable behaviour, but it's also a demonstration of how unhappy a vast majority of, of West Ham fans are feeling. You're right. Something does have to change, but I think David Moore has made a good point. They were in the bottom three when he arrived. They're not in the bottom three at the moment. They've had a few bad results, but you know this mm. this isn't going to help this sort of attitude from the supporters. You know they have to they have to get on with it. But what, what's what's going to get worse is if they lose to Southampton. I mean, we're going to see these scenes again and again. It's not going to get better. We sometimes think players are robots, don't we? And I think, you know, when, when you're a player and you've witnessed that, it's very difficult to focus on the football. Loads of messages coming in. Um, Sean says, I've never felt so unsafe at a game before. So sad to see what's happening to the club. Heartbreaking. Mark Seagal says, the sort of day where you need an old school season ticket book to rip it up and throw it on the pitch. Pete Anderson, the stadium's not fit for football. The stadium isn't being run properly. It's not a good experience going there. Adam says, I've just witnessed the most appalling 45 minutes on the pitch and off the pitch at my football club. The place imploded before my very eyes. Sean says, I'm not a West Ham fan, but it's disgusting what's happened this afternoon. At the end of the day, it's a football game. It's been spoiled for fans and families who take their children to the game. And Canadian Hammer said, things need to change at the club. It's now time to support the club that we all love. We know that the Premier League and the FA are investigating. But just to be absolutely clear, that kind of behaviour from fans has a genuine impact on players. And 
could be the difference between survival and not if the players can't sort their heads out. Of course, and, and it's going to be aimed at the, the owners. So it goes from the owners into the, into the management, down into the players. They, as David said, they've got to stick together. They've got, they've got eight games, they've got eight mm. cup finals to get out of trouble. And uh, you can only do that by pulling together, but uh, it's a big test for them. Horrible day, absolutely horrible. Um, and if you were at the, the game with your kids, um, I, hope that, I hope that they feel OK about it. Uh, let's move on then and talk about a game at the top of the table, Manchester United against Liverpool. Um, Adam sent us a message saying it was a complete and utter masterclass from Mourinho. He outdid Klopp today on every level. As someone who grew up as the student of total football, what do you think of Jose's approach to football? It's allowed now. Nobody says yeah, he can absolutely. do it. So, yeah. And he gets his result. And uh, so uh, he did the same against uh, Ajax in the European Cup uh, final. Uh, they were didn't have a chance against uh, Ajax. Didn't have a chance against Manchester United. And you know he had two shots on goal, and uh, he get his result. So you have to also get respect for him to get the, those results. It's not my kind of play and maybe for a lot of people also that don't like it, but at the end uh, the majority will be happy with the result. We're good at writing off Jose Mourinho and criticising his approach and then he goes and does something like today. Oh no, you can't, you can't criticise him too much because the record that he's done in, in, other, in every country <laughs> that he's been to, it's not just one country, but you know, the, the, the Italians used to do that back in the day all the time. That's how they played every club and, the, and they won a World Cup doing that, actually in 82. So it's effective. But it, like Frank, it's, it's not what I want to see. It's not what I want my team to do. It's not how I want to watch football. You want to win games of football there if you're well, a United fan. Yeah, home. exactly. But it, there, is, there is a little bit of entertainment there. But whilst they're winning, Manchester United fans will put up with it. But the style of Man United, all those many years, great teams, great individuals, if it doesn't start to... If he keeps winning trophies, he's going to be OK. But if it doesn't go that way, the first. you'll see them turn. <laughs> yeah, that's always like that. There's a clash of styles wasn't it today and uh, I think Liverpool have conceded something like 20 goals this season against you know the other top six clubs when they've played them United have conceded seven and it was a typical Mourinho smash and grab Lukaku bullying Lovren Rashford a couple of superb goals and then he shut up shop and in these you know big games you know it's all very well saying well we want to be open and you know entertain our fans but it's about three points yep. today big clash and they came on top the Man United way have got in touch. They've said anyone questioning Jose Mourinho should bury their heads in the sand. Wins against Chelsea and Liverpool in a week should silence those doubting his ability to outthink opposition managers. Let's hear actually from a couple of the fans. Adam McCola, who's with the full-time Devils, I imagine he's happy. And Drifty, probably not so much. We bossed Man United. Their second goal was lucky. They tried to target Trent. It worked to a degree, I guess. But overall, we were a much better team. And I'm proud of my boys today. I am. Let's march on. We've got to hope Tottenham drop points. We've got to hope Chelsea drop points. I think second is gone now. Man United, you are so lucky. Woo! You are so lucky. United in the second half, we sat off them a little bit. We invited them onto us. And they got a goal for Eric Bailly. But we held on in the end and got three crucial points. Crucial wins against Chelsea. Crucial wins against Liverpool. Crystal Palace. We've got that winning mentality back after a blip over Newcastle and Tottenham away. We need to keep it going now, Manchester United. We need to keep it going into the severe game and after that, but it feels like top four is wrapped up at least. 
And he's happy. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold actually went to social media afterwards. He had a comment to make um, and his comment is coming up now. What did he say? I just want to apologise to all the fans. The support today was amazing. Our performance was not good enough to get the result we wanted. We will learn from this and we'll come back stronger. I I want to talk about Marcus Rashford though. Uh, Those two goals, brilliant from him. Um, He's given Jose Mourinho something to think about, hasn't he? He certainly has. And I'm delighted he has as an Englishman. An English young player with the talent that he's got, you want him playing in, in every big game you can play. Would you take him to the World Cup? Oh, without a doubt. I think he's already there. If he doesn't kick another ball all season, I think Gareth will take him. <laughs> oh, but, uh, it's a pity that the, the manager is Mourinho, because normally, you know, uh, what Glenn already said, you know, he's an English player. Uh, you want him to give him time and he can make mistakes but Mourinho is not like that he wants to get results and if he has like one or two uh, not good games he puts uh, puts him out and he, he's a player he's very young he's how old is he 20 uh, something like 20 21 21 and yeah, he needs games and but he's so talented and uh, you want to see the, this player every uh, week uh, you want to see him play are you surprised he doesn't start more for United yeah yeah, I do. I think he's learning that rollout on the left-hand side as well. He tracks back. You know, that's the problem you get. Those players, Hazard had to, had to change the shape for Hazard because he was playing like a left-back yeah. in the end. And sometimes he has to go back and play almost like a left-back. But he's doing that and he's, he's learning when to be back there defending, when to half, not cheap, but be a bit clever because the ball's not ready to come out there. And then he breaks. He's got that pace to break. If a manager could allow him to play that a little bit more, you'd see him be even better. Mm. But I think he's always got to be goal side with a Mourinho team. Goal side, goal side. There's times when that player can track back, but just give himself with the pace he's got as well. Play a bit cuter. He'll do that as he gets more experience, as he gets older and a bit more in the team. It's not cheating, it's being a bit shrewd. But at the moment, he's having to track back and he's having to get up there and do that stuff. And it's a lot for a young player to develop a, you know, him as a, as a talent because he's got pace, he's got finishing. Because, yeah, and they bought Sanchez now, so it's not good for his uh, development uh, right now because you have Lukaku, you have Sanchez. Uh, you have Mata, uh, Lingard, Lingard, you have uh, Machal. So uh, for his position, it's not good, you know, uh, because he's still young. And if this kind of player has to play for me every week, and that's the advantage when you play like uh, at Ajax, you know, the, yeah, yeah, we will play in like 30, uh, 40 games. And yeah. That's a great point because in Ajax, they will develop at 19. They're going to make mistakes at that yeah. age, but... You make your mistakes, you learn quickly, and they actually become players at 24, when really in England you have to get to 28 and be in yeah. your peak. They get to their peak quicker. But yeah. they're, they're different clubs, aren't they? Different models. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah no, of course. Uh, yeah. Of course yeah. it's different, but what? still, I have to, yeah. to deliver. What's the reaction, and, though, in the press and from the fans, if you play a youngster at Ajax and they're a bit hot and cold, they don't always perform and you stick with no, them? No, but it's, it's our lifeline, you know, it's the lifeline of Ajax and every uh, supporter or fan, you know, uh, supports that, that's for sure, because they know, hey, this is how we did it from the, the 70s and until now. Well, you have to say a stroke of genius putting him in today. And the other player who's really starting to impress me is Lukaku. You know, he's labelled the flat track bully. Um, very impressive against Chelsea. And again today, crucial. Key moments, crucial. 
Okay, um, a few tweets just coming in. Saeed, evening. He says, De Boer is spot on. It's called tactics. You have to get the best out of your team. And let's not forget, of course, Manchester United are still a team in transition. Um, and Rich has dropped us a note saying Manchester United played well today. It shouldn't be forgotten. It's more and more progress since Fergie left. We've had loads of questions coming in for you, Frank. Um, there's a question here from Dan says, uh, who's the best player you've ever played with? I mean, that's quite a long list that you could pick from. Yeah, it's a quite a difficult question. Uh, yeah. um, I think uh, Rivaldo at the time at Barcelona was, you know, at his top at that moment. He was also best player of the world uh, or chosen. So uh, at that moment, uh, Rivaldo was. Uh, okay. What about um, the fiercest club rivalry, says Pedro? Uh, in my time at Barcelona, especially uh, Valencia, we had uh, one time with Claudia Lopez and uh, they had Baraja in the midfield. Uh, they played a little bit like uh, Leicester City, you know, they were so fast in counter-attack and uh, we had a lot of problems with them. And they were top of the league, they uh, put us out in the, in the Champions League semi-final and also in the, in the, the cup game. So, oh, man. <laughs> so that was at that moment, it uh, was uh, not so a good opponent for us. OK, uh, Sophie wants to know who's, um, who was your toughest opponent. I mean, I'm guessing the answer to that is Chris Sutton in the old firm derby, right? Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I didn't play, I remember I played against uh, the Swedish guy, uh, strike. Henrik Larsson. Henrik Larsson at that moment. Uh, I love the fact that he's gone straight to Henrik Larsson. Yeah, I played only, absolutely yeah, custom, but, yeah. I played only one uh, uh, game against Celtic and uh, we lost 1-0, I think, or a goal of... Uh, and there it is. There it is, look. 2004. He probably doesn't remember me not going to make the ball there. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I what guess... What was that game like to play on the old fan? Yeah, fantastic. You know, everybody was uh, so yeah, involved, the public, you know, uh, the fans, and it was uh, really amazing. What did you think of the defending there? Quite poor. <laughs> Get your weights done. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you said to him? Get your weights done. You were saying this morning, actually. I wasn't that skillful to go past a player like Frank who read it so well. So just, you know, the old-fashioned shoulder bars. Yeah, that's the best way. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Um, all these great achievements, and still, sometimes you get mistaken for your brother. I don't know if you remember when Crystal Palace announced Frank as the manager. They released a video. Um, and even Ronald then said, it's difficult to find action photos of Frank, which is why they use me instead. And there he is. I love the fact that Joey, who's a Palace fan under, underneath, just comments, this is the most Palace thing ever. Um, one other question that's, uh, that's come in from another Frank, actually. He wants to know what, what you see as your greatest achievement in the game. In the game, uh, yeah, everybody reminds me, of course, uh, the pass against uh, Argentina the, to Bergkamp was an uh, achievement. But normally, you know, the achievement to, to win, really win something is uh, the Champions League, of course. Yeah, and that was an amazing team that you, you won the Champions League with, with yeah. Ajax back in 1995. Yeah. Just having just had a conversation about Marcus yeah. Rashford, yeah. I mean, we get excited over here yeah. about the class of 92. Yeah. You yeah. had 12 players in that squad that had come through the youth. Yes. What an amazing group of players. To yeah, we, we had uh, such a good mixture of, uh, you know, uh, two players uh, above 30, Danny Blind and uh, Frank Rijkaard. Then a middle group of 25, 26 with Van der Sar, Finidi uh, George, uh, Liedman, and me, my brother and me. So, uh, yeah, it was a great mixture with young talents who were coming with uh, David, Reiziger, uh, Kluivert, Seedorf. Yeah. 
Is that your most enjoyable club, Ajax? Yeah, because I, I played there four years as a youth player and then ten and a half years as a, as a senior. So, yeah, it's in my blood. Playing beautiful football as well. And also, yeah, we always try uh, to play attractive football, to, to, to dominate. Uh, doesn't matter against who. And, and we showed it directly, you know, the first time we were in the Champions League, uh, we played against Milan and we won three times against them. And all that leads us up to the appointment of Frank as the Crystal Palace manager that lasted, as I'm sure you know, 77 days, four Premier League games. And these are the thoughts of Chris and Terence. They're both Palace fans and they, they reflect on Frank's time at the club. Have a listen. I think it's fair to say most Palace fans are excited when De Boer was appointed as the Palace manager. You know, I mean, all the language was right, talking about bringing up players from the academy, which we love at Crystal Palace. Um, talking about a gradual evolution of the playing style and not a revolution. Steve Parrish is famously quoted for saying that. What you can say is he certainly didn't get enough time. I think if you're going to make an appointment like that, you've got to be brave. You've got to give you know, a manager the backing and the time to, to change a squad and to change a philosophy. I think otherwise the, the appointment was pointless. What I'd like to know, and of course hindsight is twenty twenty. if you had your time again at Palace, would you have gone with four at the back instead and tried to gradually influence your style of play onto the team or do you think you would have carried on and tried three at the back again? Well, let's start with that question first. No, I already, you know, changed it the last game against Burnley because uh, I'm not only talking with the staff but also with the players, of course. And uh, yeah, they were uh, feeling much common uh, with 4-3-3 uh, and uh, so, so we did and uh, and it was sort of directly you saw uh, some players were feeling much more comfortable and so I would uh, certainly go yeah, just my normal style because that's what's yeah. normal uh, for that so, I was uh, wanted to start but then yeah, you, you see what kind of squad you have mm -hmm. and uh, so I was more thinking de defensively than uh, offensively. So in hindsight moment. do you think that you tried to change too much too quickly with that squad and you tried you tried revolution rather than evolution? No everybody thinks that but uh, first thing I was only uh, doing defensive uh, training and try to okay what how we want to stand and uh, and maybe uh, everybody thought okay Frank de Boer is coming we have to play on the ground or something like that but I never mentioned that one time to uh, my, my team, and uh, but maybe they, they thought uh, it was uh, like that. But uh, at the end, uh, for them, it was maybe four, three, three. It was the best, or it's the best, I think, for for them. But uh, if you see how they played uh, the season uh, before that, I want to play. Uh, we we talked a lot about Saha already this uh, afternoon. And I wanted to, him to make the most important player. And if he wants to track back as a, as a, as a winger every time to play full back, like six to play six uh, or one six four or something like that, yeah, it's not suitable for him. So I wanted to him uh, more that he get more strength for his offensive uh, play. Yeah, I, it's very similar to when I went from Swindon to Chelsea here. I played at three at the back at, with Swindon and I wanted to play three at the back here. As soon as I came here, three at the back, wing-backs. I changed the, uh, the youth team playing that way and the youth team, Ken Bates had me in the office. He said, what's happened to the youth team? They're halfway down the league. We're always first or second. I said, yeah, but we're playing a certain way and we're going to play that. Don't expect them to be at the top of the league. We're grooming players to come through into the reserves and going into the first team because we're playing a different way. Mm. And we didn't quite have the money that Chelsea have got now, but mm. in the end, 
I had to change to a four. But the difference, what Frank didn't get, was time. Mm, Chelsea did. and Ken Bates, to be fair to them, gave me the time so, to, to change it. So when you first went into Palace, did they want you to change the DNA of that club? Did they want you to I come in you, and play your... I think you can your, just see, you know, the, the press conference with uh, Steve Perez that, OK, we want to be a steady club like uh, Southampton did, you know, uh, the last couple of uh, years, uh, last 10 years, uh, from nothing to a very steady uh, Premier League club. Uh, and that means, yeah, uh, also a different uh, type of uh, football and not play uh, relegation uh, yeah. football. So then, naturally, you tell them how long it will take. For you to turn the club, I always your, say you know, to everybody it takes normally six uh, six months. And you said that to Steve Parrish, you yeah, said that, that to yeah, the board, to, to everybody, and right. uh, because then you see some uh, that the puzzles you know will fall in place, and you think, hey, now it's a little bit what I really want. And uh, of course, the, the next season normally is much better because everybody knows exactly. And uh, when you start, you don't have to start from the bottom, right. or you can uh, do three steps for, for, uh, forward. Uh, and maybe some right signings uh, at that moment, uh, so because then you know everybody uh, yeah, from inside out, and so you need normally like six months where you feel, hey, now I can see really you know something that I wanted to see from the beginning. Do you think Steve Parrish let you down? It's his choice, and uh, he didn't give me the time, and uh, because he thought, okay. Uh, we, I don't see, uh, probably it's not going to be changed uh, also after six months and that's his uh, choice and uh, I have to respect it but of course uh, I was very disappointed in that. When did you first get an inkling that, that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't right, it wasn't happening? Uh, no, I think already two weeks uh, before because uh, every time you have a good conversations and, and suddenly it's... Uh, when they are not uh, showing up or you don't have that uh, much talk anymore, then you know hey, they're doing something else. But, but what, what changed? That's what I, I can't understand in such a short period of time. Roy Hodgson's lost four games yeah. on, on the trot, by the way. Nobody's talking about him being... Well, Eddie what, Howe. Eddie Howe had no points but, at the same time. They've stuck with him and Bournemouth have lifted up. It was, it was panic, you've said, haven't you, Frank? But what changed? What do, what do you think changed? No, I think he didn't have to, that much, uh, much confidence that it could uh, change it. But was there a player revolution as was No, no, of course you have uh, talks about, OK, I don't want this player in the squad or I want this or this. And uh, yeah, some things happened, some didn't, uh, things didn't happen. And, but uh, yeah, the problem is uh, yeah, we didn't get the good result because I think if we had in those three games, like for example against Liverpool, mm. that Benteke gives a 100% chance and, uh, and we give again a goal away uh, like we did a lot of times because a lot of times uh, the opponent didn't create their chances themselves, but we gave them away. Also the last game again when uh, Chong Lee just gave the back pass to some uh, striker of uh, Burnley. Uh, so that happened a, a lot and uh, I, I already really the last two weeks I had the feeling of course that they hey, they gonna maybe sack me but I had at the training ground I have a good, really good feeling because mm. I really had that moment I put some players on the side because I think they had too much influence uh, to the squad or negative influence and I really had the feeling hey I can now really put my focus into the team and not all the other side. Uh, what's yeah, 
what in the beginning maybe is important, but for me the most important, and I'm also a manager like that, that I want to focus on you know how I can uh, yeah, develop our play. And the last two weeks I really had uh, that feeling that, hey, we are on the right track. So after the Burnley game, what, what was your emotion then? Because you performed well yeah. at Burnley. I mean, as an audition... I mean, it was it was a thrashing. It was you know it was it was. No, a but I had then, already the feeling that hey, uh, you must have been angry. Of course, I was angry, but uh, I said also to Steve, okay, uh, I'm not agreeing. You know that you're gonna sack me, but uh, I'm not gonna shout or something like that because. Uh, Did you try and fight your corner though? Did you try and tell him the reasons why he has to stick with you and no, because he already made the decision. And, uh, I don't want to. Uh, spoil my uh, energy any more than for Crystal Palace at that moment. And when that happens, how, mu how much do you doubt yourself? How much do you doubt your... Of course, uh, but I, I think everybody uh, is doubting himself. Still, if you were winning, you're, you're doubting yourself. I'm, I'm always, as a player, I was like that. You know, I was ne never satisfied with myself. I always want to, mm. to get better. And uh, so also uh, like this, uh, you know, every game with ice, I always were nervous. Uh, I never was, yeah, maybe when we trained a lot, I, I was relaxed. Mm. But always, you know, uh, that tension, do I the right thing and so there always are doubts and I, I think finally we are obsessed aren't we with clubs finding the long-term answer when it comes to management you know we talk about Steve Parrish having had nine managers come through in his time and when are they going to find the long-term answer but it's football in the modern era if you're not in the top four or five no longer conducive to the long-term answer because if you go into Palace and you'd have won your first four yeah. or 14 games like Marco Silva at Watford yeah. another club comes calling you get unsettled results start to drop but equally, if you lose your first four games, as you've seen after 70, 77 days, yeah, the, 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 the panic, so the panic starts. The, the panic starts at that moment uh, because it's so important, uh, and that, are, of course, he told me from the beginning, it's so important to stay in, in the Premier League because the money is so uh, so much, the fear and, comes and in. the fear, fear comes in. in. But if you're Manchester City, you can give Pep Guardiola that season of learning about his squad like they had last year and then well, go and dominate this year. They're the only club really that are looking at it yeah. as a long, longevity because they've come in with a lot of money but they've been really classy with what they've done. They've gone into the community, they've, they've schooled the kids from 14 going through. They're, they're there for life. They're there not mm. just to come in and out and panic if it goes wrong and they're just going to get better and better. OK, and final question, do you want to get back into management in the Premier League? I think it's, it's uh, the best pro league in the world, so of course yes, I want to, Yes, of course. Very good. We asked you a poll earlier, were Crystal Palace too quick to sack Frank de Boer? 73% of people said yes, they were. Did you vote yes on that poll? Yes, of course. Yeah, quite right. Um, Gary says, I'm really enjoying tonight's Premier League tonight. I agree, I don't think that Frank was given enough time. As much as I like Roy in charge, I would still have preferred Frank. Mark Fullerton, Frank, would you like to manage Rangers one day? One word answer. Yes, of course. That's two. Three. Three. <laughs> My county's as bad as uh, Martin Keown's. Um, Antonio Mango said, I'd love, to, I'd love to see Frank succeed at another English club. But Rich says, um, Frank De Boer in the studio, surely they're going to talk about World Cup 98, which means only one thing. He can talk us through his assist for the goal of the tournament. Hashtag Bergkamp. I'm not going anywhere. Rich, your moment has arrived. Your recollections of that pass. I mean, the pass was better than the finish, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think... Uh... <laughs> He agreed with me. <laughs> Quite right. Oh, but you just have to control it. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, but 
it's funny. We did it. Uh, I did it a lot of times with him already at, uh, when we played at Ajax together. And uh, so, if you look back uh, to other games from the National League, you know, I did it like uh, ten times. And sometimes it was a goal, but sometimes it wasn't. But we had always eye contact uh, together. And. Uh, yeah. That's I had it also with Mark Overmars as a left uh, fullback and he is left winger. You know, he did one step uh, towards me and then he was running and I gave the ball. You know, that was so easy. And and if you then also yeah have a quite good pass, then it, it could always uh, can be dangerous. And at that moment, you know, it was a really long distance and yeah, you have to. So did you one, see him make the move or yeah, was it instinct always, no, from you? No, but it's. At the end, it's also instinct. What yeah. you know? Okay, he's gonna make that move, and uh, and so, yeah, then you release it, and then you know you don't know where it ends, of course. But uh, the, the possibility that if you have a good pass, that it's gonna be close. That's uh, and you, you know he's making one run for the defender, yeah. and then he's gonna go for himself, and yeah. and if that's happening at club level when you're playing that, you've played over years yeah. and years. I did and it years. also with Liedman when he yeah. played on the position. Yeah. You just uh, you just get the, that little bit of for Bergkamp, yeah. It's a, and you know they expect also from me to do that because I'm always looking forward uh, as a, the quality that I have. So uh, so that's why uh, I always tried it with him. But then of course it ended disappointingly with defeat on penalties, didn't it? And you you were a bit like England at that time, '96, '98, 2000. Penalty losing penalty yeah. shootouts became a kind of thing for the Dutch. Yeah, as really, well, didn't it was uh, yeah, horrendous every time you know, that we lose uh, with penalties because against uh, Brazil uh, we could have won, we could have lost. Uh, you know, very very tight game and uh, you scored yours, didn't you? I scored the first one. Uh, Koku missed and my brother missed uh, one and. Uh, at the end, we maybe could have received a penalty uh, at, uh, I think, in extra time with Van Hooydonk, he get pulled away. But uh, yeah, well, at the end, I think we, we came there to the tournament and we weren't the fa one of the favourites. Mm. We in '96 in England, we had uh, the problems with Davids and, uh, and Goose Hiddink, you know, and the black cable they called it. And uh, suddenly, okay, the, the team really had the, the belief that we can yeah, reach something, but not really the belief that we are gonna be, can be world champions. Yeah. And I think if you really had the belief, you know, I think the, the, the coin will drop your, uh, on your side. And that wasn't the case. Of course, at the 98 World Cup for England, um Chris Sutton didn't feature. I would love to. I would love to do this story now if you two are cool about this, because you were the manager at the time. Yeah. You were the player that decided that you were too good to play for the England B team. <laughs> um, what, what did I say at the end of our Premier League uh, show? Betrayed your country. The, we've got all the glory out of the way. Now we'll get onto the disgrace. <laughs> well, so, so what happened here then? Oh look, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty ashamed of the way I behaved at that particular time. Um, but I, uh, I was sort of heart on sleeve as a player. I'd started the season well at Blackburn and Glenn gave me my first uh, cap uh, mm. against Cameroon. I think it was mid-November. And I did what all players do. I judged myself against other players in my position. Now, this was an era of Shearer, yeah. Sheringham, Ferdinand, Ian Wright, uh, Michael Owen had come on the scene, Robbie Fowler, wonderful natural finisher. Andy Cole, you know, a lot of competition for places, but I'd done well, uh, I did well in the subsequent two months before the next squad uh, was announced against Chile, and I thought I would actually have a chance of starting the game, and, uh, and then Glenn picked the squad, and he put and me, he put me in the B squad, yeah. and, uh, and 
I know you think I'm a nice guy, Jake, uh, but I was really angry at that mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to see Roy Hodgson, uh, who was the Blackburn manager yeah. at the time, and I said, I'm going to phone Glenn. Uh, you know, I was really angry. And Roy, the diplomat, which he is, he said, well, if you phone him, you know, you'll, you'll know the consequences. And like an idiot, uh, <laughs> I phoned Glenn and, uh, and told him where to shove England B. <laughs> and Glenn said that... Um, that you will never play for England again. And uh, he was quite right, wasn't he? <laughs> well, he was. He got that right. Absolutely. I said that because of the rare talent that I did have. <laughs> well, I think this England managers might have thought differently. But Chris is right. I had so many to choose. But what are you thinking, though, when you get that yeah, phone call uh, from Chris telling yeah. you that he well, considers himself too good for the England B team? Chris to, to, to do what you have a knuckle down, don't you? If you get left out the first team at a club, you knuckle down and you say, I'm going to prove you're wrong. And I think if there was a certain... If Les Ferdinand had got injured, I would have been definitely looking yeah. at bringing someone... I need... If, if Robbie Fowler had got injured at the time, I wouldn't have replaced him with Chris. I'd have replaced him with someone else. It was that... When you're picking a squad, you've got to have that balance. And fortunately, at that time, I had, what, seven, eight, maybe nine strikers I could choose from. So I was in a very good, comfortable position. It, it still doesn't get away from the fact that I shouldn't have done what I did mm. at that particular time, but... You know, that, that was the way I felt, but I had no right, really, to phone Glenn um, and... I'm amazed you uh, did that, because you're um, a sensible guy. Well, you, well, you, no, wait, I, like, you know, I was, I was angry, Jake, and, uh, you know, I, I, I felt that I should have been in by right, but, you know, I, I was an idiot, because I, I cut my ties. Neither, neither would I... Look, I think maybe I would have maybe got more caps, but they were better players than me. But, uh, you, you know, I'd, I cut uh, my nose off, I got, I, despite I, the face. I got sympathy it. for him. To a degree, because I went... So much sympathy, you chucked no, him out of the England team and never had him back no, in. No, my point is, if you let me say it, yeah, as a player, I felt I could have gone to the manager. Because I, I wasn't played. I, I scored a, had a wonderful debut, scored a top, top goal, yeah. made anything. I didn't play for six games after, so I could have been picking that phone up. Yeah. It was Ron Greenwood at the time, or Bobby Rawson. But I didn't, because I thought, I'll knuckle down and I'll prove people wrong. If only you'd done that. Could have been a very yeah, good that's something, something I regret. Right, let's move on. Uh, we've got a Dutch footballing legend with us tonight, so naturally the conversation was going to turn eventually to Johan Cruyff. And we're going to talk about lasting legacies. Before we talk, here's who's left a lasting legacy at your club. Cantona. To the fans, it'll always be Cantona. It's why we still sing his name. The treble winning team developed from that team. So along with Sir Alex Ferguson... Eric Cantona was the catalyst. I think the legacy has been Kevin Keegan, his first spell at the club where he plucked us from the old second division, going down there, we're going to be relegated. And then he plucked us, won the, won the championship, came in at the Premier League, blitzed the Premier League. Everybody remembers the entertainers from the early 90s to mid 90s. There's only one man, Alan Curtis. No, he doesn't like the title legend, so the fans call him Mr Swansea City, which is a title he really deserves. Um, he also deserves a statue outside the Liberty. So come on, Swansea, get it done. It has to be Bobby Zamora. Um, watching football at the Withdean wasn't the most glamorous, but he made it all the better. He scored some absolutely quality goals and got us up from the old Division 3 um, up to the old Division 1 now, the Championship. Um, and that was really the springboard to get us to where we are now. I'm hoping that David Wagner will leave a long-lasting legacy. He's transformed this club on and off the field. The football we've been playing is fantastic. He's got us back in the Premier League. And I don't think the town fans would settle for anything less than what we're being served up at the moment. Long may it continue. Right, let's talk legacies then. Sean says Keegan, without a doubt, is a Newcastle fan. Dom, Grant Holt at Norwich City. 
We got that mentioned into the show. Uh, JDB <laughs> Cruyff is and forever will be known for total football, a legacy which cannot be matched. And there's lots of conversations as well about Pep Guardiola. Um, John Lindsay says, Jake, can you ask Frank's opinion on Johan Cruyff's influence on Pep's coaching methods and style of football? Because it was Cruyff who saw Pep, wasn't it, playing football at Barcelona in the youth team and moved him into the centre. So when you watch Manchester City play today, can you see Cruyff's influence in that? Team? Yeah, 100%. Because uh, yeah, they want he wants always want to dominate and uh, take risk uh, his philosophy is uh, okay we will maybe give chances away but we uh, certainly we get more chances uh, ourselves and uh, and what you see what really I think Cruyff uh, uh, yeah, put in especially with uh, Guardiola is that if they lose the ball it doesn't matter if they are one against one uh, in the back because there is so much pressure. They can give uh, yeah, proper balls to uh, to another player. So in normally two or three seconds they have the ball back, and uh, uh, fullback is uh, or wingback is already you know putting pressure on a midfield. Just let his man go or let uh, the central defender be one against one. And I think that's uh, a very big influence from Johan Cruyff and also yeah, to play really uh, total football. And he was a real visionary, wasn't he, Johan? He, he focused on the tiny details, didn't yeah. he, to try and improve the team. What sort of stuff? Yeah, for example, uh, like a throw-in. He said, OK, uh, why you, you give a throw-in? Uh, yeah, the throw-in always has to be your, one of your best players because he's the one who's free. Spare, yeah. So, yeah. He's so you give it to somebody, he gives the back, and the best player has the, the ball on his feet. So he, normally he does the yeah. best thing, that kind of uh, thing. You know? I mean, I mean, uh, throw-ins, I used to be... When I went to France, it was different for me. I was man marked, and I'd never had that in England. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to take throw-ins. And I'm going to throw it at people's head because no one could mark you then. Yeah. And if you throw it at someone's head, they can't bring it down. I have to give you it back so you've got the ball. It was yeah. the only way I could get space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? I took thrones. And you, you played against Cruyff, did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. What was that yeah. like? That was fantastic. I mean, he was 33, I think, mm. playing for Feyenoord. I think yeah. Rude Hullet was yeah. 18 was playing as a sweeper with Tottenham. Yeah, but it was, it was a great experience. It really was to play against him. And, you know, when you think about it, you, we're just seeing it now. It's just mentioned... <laughs> When you've won things in football, you've done things over a length of time, but when you have a skill named and it goes on from generation yeah. to generation, yeah. my word, that is something else in football. Do you remember where you, you were when you first saw the Cruyff turn? Can you, you remember the first time you saw it? Yeah, I saw it on the, uh, on the television in the World Cup and I, ha I nearly jumped out, out of the seat on the sofa because I, had to, I almost wanted a replay because I thought, what did he do there? Yeah. I'd never seen that before. And it was the fact that the dump, it, it really looked to me as if he was going to... The, the, the Cruyff turn is not a problem. Anyone could do the Cruyff turn. It's the dummy that he put in. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the Brazilian fullback, but his, his legs, he really thought it was gone. Yeah. It's gone. Jan Olsen, the Swedish defender, wasn't it? Wow. I've got, and Jan you're out in the garden yeah. doing it. Do you remember trying to do it yourself? Uh, yeah, sometimes I did it, but not uh, as but often as a kid, because I was. Young, a yeah. yeah, of course, you know. Uh, still, when I was uh, coaching, you know, the youngsters, yeah, you did the Sidan oh, turn, the, the Sidan, but you always did the young cry also uh, movement. Yeah. Uh, what, what's going on now with Dutch football? You were the assistant manager. You took them all the way to the World Cup yeah. final in 2010. We want Holland at World Cups. What's going yeah. on? Uh, the problem, maybe we don't have a good generation right now, and the problem is also because of, 
our best players they are already leaving when they are 20, 20 or 21, sometimes 19, sometimes 16. And I think when you are uh, 70 until 23, you have to play every week. You have mm. to play 30 uh, games a year minimum. Uh, and if they go to a big club, and you're, you're, doesn't it doesn't happen. And and that you we notice in in, uh, in the in the national team, the national team yeah. because they don't have the experience because you only get experience to play games and uh, I think that's the biggest problem and also yeah maybe it's not not the right generation yeah. hopefully well, it comes. sad loss from a major tournament um, let yeah. me very quickly tell you what's coming up on BT Sport over the next few days we've got plenty of European football for you including Manchester United on Tuesday evening Barca against Chelsea what a game that's going to be on Wednesday night Arsenal look like they might have got the job done against AC. Milan. And then next weekend we've got Emirates FA Cup action for you at 11.45 and at 7.30. And in between those two, we've also got Liverpool against Watford for you. Uh, look, loads of messages coming in like this one from Dino saying great insight from Frank de Boer tonight. Hopefully someone gives him another chance. We'd love to see him succeed in English football. Um, and we all echo those thoughts. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you very so much. honestly about Palace and sharing your thoughts. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you all very much for your company this evening. Thank you as well. As always, the last word is yours. Good night. West Brom 1, Leicester City 4, masterclass from Leicester in the second half, Ibora plays, Ibora bossed it, Ibora scored. Shambles, pathetic, embarrassing, that's not just a performance, it's a club from top to bottom. Two goals from Marcus Rashford, I think he was watching compilations of Cristiano Ronaldo. Man United, you are so lucky, woo, you are so lucky. What a win for Newcastle, absolutely delighted. What a win, 3-0 win today. We totally deserve to get relegated for the negative tactics that we've employed. Start of a good week for Chelsea, we've beaten Palace here and we're now going to go and knock Barcelona out of the European Cup. Burnley are going on a European adventure next year, maybe. Thanks again for listening to this week's pod. Please subscribe by ensuring you never miss a show. And we're back on Saturday, March the 31st, live on BT Sport as Everton take on Manchester City. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.